Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine friends, and welcome back to part two of my mini-series on South Africa. Today we are still in Stellenbosch, but we will be talking all things Chardonnay with the very talented winemaker Mike Dawson of Journey's End Winery. When I met Mike in January at the winery, oh, our wine tasting went on for hours. I did feel rather guilty as Mike is a really busy guy, but he has so much information to offer and he is very very generous with his time. He's also all about the wine. We're talking backwards cap, casual jeans, white t-shirt. This is a guy that is solely there for his grapes and you taste that in the wines. So alongside discussing different winemaking choices for Chardonnay, how the grapes differ from Stellenbosch to other regions, we will also be talking about all the incredibly honourable actions of Journey's End, helping the community, their sustainability recognitions, and even some of their pleasurable actions, such as throwing grand pianos across the estate. Yeah. (laughs) So pour yourself a glass of Chardonnay, preferably from Journey's End, and enjoy. So, Mike, how are you feeling? Are you stressed that I have taken you away from your grapes? Be honest. Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) A few moments away, they'll be all right. We are still just doing pump overs on sort of one block of of grapes at the moment, which we took Mm -hmm. in quite late. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, other than that, everything's been pressed. Um, Most of the red wines have gone through malolactic fermentation, which is great. So we next week we'll tackle um sort of filling them into barrels and then they'll mm-hmm. spend about 18 to uh, 24 months um yeah in barrel afterwards so that's a little bit more of the romantic side of, of the wine making process where it's pretty action-packed during harvest obviously of course of course and we're recording now for anyone obviously this will come out a little bit later but we're recording right towards the end of April and you were just telling me this is actually probably one of the latest latest harvest or the longest harvest for you bit of both um we have actually picked historically a little bit later than this um but we just had really interesting sort of weather conditions towards the end of of the 2023 summer Mm. um where the weather became very cold and we had periodic rainfall at very awkward times um during harvest so it was always a day after you were taking samples where you need to allow the the vineyards a little bit of time to soak in all of that water um which obviously dilutes all of your sugars um so your your grapes are weren't at optimal ripeness at that point Mm. um so yeah it was i think the 2023 season um was more about patient sort of wine making or uh, patient <laughs> harvesting um yeah. whereas in the years before it's been quite full on but a little bit more compressed yeah. but yeah every year is completely completely different so there's always a challenge every year um and that's the beauty of of wine making is that you have to overcome sort of different circumstances every single year uh which makes it fun and interesting. Otherwise, uh, I think I'd probably become a bit bored <laughs> if it was too easy. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I want to ask you a question. Now, I know you are a winemaker and not a viticulturalist, but I wonder if you can actually answer this question. You mentioned the rain was coming at a really awkward time this year. And so, of course, when the rain has fallen, the grapes suck it up and they're diluted. How long do you have to wait before effectively things can return? Or is that does it never fully return? It does fully return, um, but the with the 2023 vintage, um, there was sort of rain at a very, very awkward time. So it kept coming like sort of once a week and quite heavy rainfall. Mm. Um, so it's all dependent on the amount of rainfall. And if your soil gets completely saturated, then uh, you obviously have to leave it 
sort of four or five days at least um, before right. it, it recovers and you get a better reading of your sugars and your, your phenolic ripeness after, after that. So, yeah, again, all about patience or patience, I'd say. <laughs> and, and, and riding the roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. <well. laughs> oh, gosh. So you've actually been at Journey's End for eight years. So this has been in, I think you use the word interesting vintage. Um, what has been the most challenging vintage that you've experienced? And, yeah, how did you get over that one? <laughs> I think... Um, so my first maiden vintage, I did join at Journey's End in 2015, but I didn't mm-hmm. make the wine. I was just um, a part of the blending exercise. Um, okay. So I joined Journey's End towards the end of 2015. And then my first maiden vintage was obviously uh, the 2016 vintage. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a phenomenal, phenomenal vintage in 2015. Um, everything, all the conditions were just perfect, but from 20, the end of 2015 into 2016 and all the way up, I would say to t- 2020, um, we were quite drought-stricken in South Africa, specifically in the Western mm-hmm. Cape. Mm. Um, so after having a really robust, full-bodied vintage in 2015, I found that 2016 was quite a challenging one um, as my maiden vintage. <laughs> one uh, of the because, yeah. Mm. Yeah, we didn't get as much uh, sort of color extraction, not as full-bodied wines. The wines were a little bit light, lighter in terms of the color and extraction and um, flavor concentration. Um, so we to try and help overcome this obstacle. We yeah. uh, were quite sort of um, methodical and rigorous in terms of our pump overs, especially on the, mm. well, on the, on the red grapes, yeah, um, just to try and get absolutely everything that we could out of um, out of the skins. Um, and the, the wines actually turned out beautifully um, in 2016 after a little bit of that barrel maturation, but it was quite a sort of scary um, mm. situation especially being at my my maiden vintage. Bless you. But I suppose it's one of those things I speak with winemakers and it's always the most challenging ones that tend to give you some magical wine. There's always this beautiful surprise. And I guess maybe emotionally they taste better, right? (laughs) (laughs) Precisely, yeah. So tell me, what attracted you actually to winemaking? What is it? So you are to be... Completely honest, it was a bit of a lucky accident. I Love used that. to be a very <laughs> passionate surfer, um, and I come from the east coast of South Africa, so mm. from uh, Durban, mm. uh, with nice warm water from the Indian Ocean. Um, so it was a bit of a shock to the system when I moved up to the Western Cape <laughs> and got into the sea. Yeah, and also the wine culture in Durban was really non-existent when I was growing up. People were drinking red wines because of the sort of um, tropical temperatures that you get. Um, mm-hmm. They were drinking red wine with, with ice inside. And, oh, um, no, no. <laughs> so I, um, I always wanted to really study a science based degree. I was pretty decent at science um, and had a passion for it when I was still at school. Um, but the reason I moved up to the Western Cape and Stellenbosch University specifically was because a lot of my schoolmates um, were all moving up here and I didn't want to get left behind or left out. <laughs> um, so my mom and I were sort of browsing through all of uh, the science degree options and we came across viticulture and enology. Um, mm. which I must be honest, at the time, I, I wasn't even entirely sure what that meant or entailed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, after a bit of research, I thought that the industry sounded fun and would be something that, um, yeah, that I'd enjoy studying. Um, so it was a, a bit of a slow burner in terms of when I actually started studying. My passion sort of grew uh, for making wine and during my studies. Um, so I, I absolutely love the, the technical side of winemaking as much as I love mm-hmm. the, um, the creative side. Um, and uh, it's always really cool allowing your vineyard and your, your cellar team to really express themselves and it changes um, from vintage to vintage. So as I mentioned before, it does keep you on your toes, which I 
I think I really need as a person. <laughs> <laughs> you think you like, yeah. No, exactly. You don't want to be bored, precisely. Yeah. And I remember when I was sat and we were doing the tasting, you were talking about all these different, you know, you really like to push things, try new things. So I imagine with your training and seeing other winemakers and probably travels, you've picked up or you've seen some quite unusual or memorable wine related traditions or rituals have you have you brought any of that into your winemaking is there something that everyone listening would be like oh that's weird <laughs> yes we do use some uh, very traditional vessels specifically and um, we're using some amphora terracotta clay pots mm. which are mm-hmm. actually will form part of of a component that um, is in one of the wines that we'll be going through today, mm. which I, it's quite a new age wine making technique, but it actually isn't. It's one of the most historically oh. backdated um, techniques. Um, so I think there is always a, a combination of sort of old world techniques with new age thinking, if that makes yeah. any sense, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which I definitely have incorporated into the Journeys and Cellar. And I'm very lucky to be able to be given that sort of privilege and be allowed to spend a little bit of money on trying different things, uh, new techniques um, and approaches to making wine at the end of the day. <laughs> and um, any happy accidents <laughs> <laughs> with your sure. practices? Um, wait, wait, any that you want to express? Any that you want to admit? <laughs> the only thing that really pops to mind is my son being born. He's actually just turned one year old a week ago um he's an absolute (laughs) absolute cutie um Mm. which our winemakers obviously have the occasional privilege of taking a couple of bottles home with them to share with their partners um Mm -hmm. and i'm sure you can figure out the rest of the details yourself (laughs) (laughs) so we'll have him working in the cellar in the next four years for sure (laughs) i can't remember who told me this but they took some dom perignon and they dipped the dummy into the Dom Perignon and just gave it to the baby and that was their initiation like that's it but it literally was a little tiniest of drops and I think if you want to create some sort of wine memory or, or a wine connection with your newborn baby I could see I could see how that works and definitely see that happening <laughs> oh dear so right now I want everybody to actually understand where Journey's End is located and how beautiful it is. Because if anyone followed me on Instagram, they would have seen at one point I put up this beautiful video of just looking from the balcony of the family house that just looks over the winery, the vineyards, you can see the mountains, you can see the ocean. And that is literally my favorite place. Anywhere where you can see sea vineyards and mountains is okay with me, right? It's a very, very special place. Um, Isn't it? Mm. So, yeah, Journey's Inn's um, located pretty much at the foothills of Solaris Pass, um, which Mm -hmm. is actually technically in Somerset West. So we are about seven kilometers away from False Bay. We are on the more eastern side of False Bay, which is Mm -hmm. the meeting of the Indian and Atlantic Oceans with the very cold water. Sadly. (laughs) (laughs) You know about that. (laughs) And we, we sort of categorized um, to still be in the Stellenbosch widened region, but we're on the very southern extreme. Um, so the most mm. southerly situated vineyard um, plantations in the Stellenbosch region and the closest proximity basically to the ocean. And all of our vineyards are on um, south-facing slopes, so cooler slopes, um, which allow for relatively long uh, vineyard hang time, but we still retain really nice high natural acidities. Um, which is a winemaker's dream. (laughs) And then our temperatures are about four degrees uh, cooler than what you would get in the middle or in central um, Stellenbosch. Um, And we have slightly more drastic diurnal range, um, so difference in day and night temperature. Mm. Yeah, and then our our soils are all um, decomposed granite or decomposed granite derivatives. Yes, Um, yeah. Mostly oak leaf and tecudo, which are slightly deeper soils, uh, a little bit more, more productivity, bigger canopies. Um, and then we have belts that go across the farm, which are um, more Glen Rossa soils, another decomposed granite derivative. Mm, um, okay. But those are slightly shallower soils, um, slightly smaller canopies, and very extreme concentration, I'd say, in the grapes. 
smaller no. grapes and bunches as well. And of course, because of all of this, you have more higher natural acidity. And I think, you know, your style in general, there's there's an elegance that I remember and that we discussed, right? Because of that location and yeah. everything. Yeah. Lovely. 100%. And for anybody, you, you guys focus on Cabernet Sauvignon very much, as well as Chardonnay, but I'm not letting Mike talk about his Cabernet Sauvignons because I've already done a Stellenbosch Cabernet Sauvignon episode. <laughs> so sorry, everyone. <laughs> They're brilliant. <laughs> I vouch for it, but we're going to be doing Chardonnays today. Um, Actually, before we get on to Chardonnay, though, I have always loved you guys because of the sustainability credentials and also what you're, you've done with your foundation. And I, well, I mean, where should we start with that? Because you guys have won a million awards for all your doings all your ethical stuff your water management haven't you what am i missing yeah so i think to start off um i must just say that our focus at journey's end has always been environmental sustainability which is hugely important to us um you have to sort of inherit a, a plot of land and look after it or even improve it um for the next person who takes over the land i mean you're only going to be a an owner for a certain period of time and it's our goal as a business basically to keep this land in, in tip-top shape um yeah for whoever works the land in the future um hopefully mm. it, it's us but um i mean in a thousand <laughs> years who knows what's going to happen oh we're all going to be robots <laughs> precisely <laughs> we'll have the robots working the land well, it might, be, it might be us. Listen, we might live forever <laughs> with the way technology is going. They can't kill us. Yeah, and then as you mentioned now, well, another focus for Journeys End has always been our social responsibility or sustainability yeah. of our local community. Um, and then our third focus is to have a lot of fun while we, we're doing all of this. Yes. But Journeys End is VITA accredited. Um, IPW certified as well as becoming um, one of the WWF conservation champions. Um, it's a collective Ooh, group mm, that was in okay. 2021. We also fair trade certified since 2017. Um, you mentioned a little bit about the awards now, but we actually won the uh, Drinks Business Green Wine Awards in um, 2021 for the most ep- mm-hmm. ethical company. Um, sorry, in 2020, we won it for um, sort of uh, community upliftment projects um, where the GABs actually provided um, more than a million meals over the duration of a year after COVID hit, which really threw a lot of our local community into a bit of disrepute mm-hmm. because they had lost their jobs, they were retrenched. So we did a million meals within the space of a year. We actually exceeded our expectations in that regard. But I will explain or get into a little bit more depth on that a little bit later. Um, (laughs) In 2021, we uh, won the same award, but this was for water management. And we also won the award for Ethical Company of the Year and Water Management Award. Um, and this was because of drainage channels uh, which were constructed on the farm. I did mention the the drought that we were having in South Africa. Um, yeah. So this has helped in capturing all of the, the rainfall that lands on the farm um, and channeling it back into our dams, which we use um, obviously for irrigation of the vineyards. So those are two really nice awards that we won. And well-deserved. <laughs> yeah, and we were also converted to um, solar production as well as storing into 2014, which has also been quite a blessing, um, especially considering all the load shedding that's happening in South Africa. God, I know. I could not believe that. But has it got any better? I've heard in the last Uh, month or so. Probably got worse. worse. (laughs) I'd say over the last 10 years, it's been getting progressively worse and worse. And it's always difficult in the winter months where people are using heaters and Mm -hmm. there's just not enough power to supply the whole country at the moment. <sighs> yeah, yeah, but at least you're storing some. So hopefully, yeah, we are storing. We um, completely off the grid now at Journey's End in the cellar and on the farm, which is amazing. Oh, that's beautiful. To be honest, there is so much stuff going on across the farm. And actually, you said one of your pillars was to have fun. Um, should I get you to explain to people what a trebuchet is and what the hell it is and why you have one Absolutely. in your grounds? <laughs> So a trebuchet is a, a sort of medieval catapult. Uh, so yeah. Rollo, my boss, had this machine constructed in, in Shropshire um, and then decided, no, it would be a great idea to um, put it on a shipping container and bring it down to South Africa to install <laughs> on the farm. 
Um, it weighs a, a hefty sort of 12 tons. It's about 40, 40 or so feet high, um, and it's a uh-huh. huge piece of timber. Um, but yeah, basically a medieval catapult, and we use this to entertain guests that um, that we have on the farm. We have a big mm-hmm. UK-based clientele, so I'd say about 92 or so percent of our wines end up in the UK. Um, so we obviously have a lot of customers that come in from the UK, and it's always good fun to see them throwing my wine barrels <laughs> over a field. <laughs> These are discarded wine barrels, which are are very old, so I don't really have too much of a problem with it. And it's always good fun after an arduous day of tasting and and vineyard tours, then we can go and throw a barrel. Throw a barrel. I think I've seen, haven't I seen you throw a car or a piano, a huge piano as well before? We've thrown multiple things with the trebuchet. (laughs) Yeah, those are two examples of of things that we've thrown. Great for anger management, right? (laughs) Release a bit of that testosterone. Oh my god, honestly. And then and then with the foundation, I just thought for me it that was really special. It really um kind of touched my heart because I think for anybody who hasn't been to South Africa, they don't really understand when you say a township, they're like, What's a township? And even just driving from the airport towards Cape Town, you know, I've never seen anything like it. Um, yeah, the amount there's of people. a number of different townships and they low income informal settlements. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, people who aren't, aren't the most privileged. Um, but it, it's quite drastic to see, like Cape Town, a, a, which I consider a, a first world sort of section of the country, and how close mm-hmm. those are to people who are completely impoverished. Um, yeah, yeah. So, it is quite a unique situation. You see quite a similar thing in Mendoza in, um, in Argentina um, with the huge, beautiful castles of wineries which are completely surrounded by informal settlements. Mm, yeah. And I thought, but it was very humbling when I came and drove up to your property. Again, you know, you make such amazing wines. It's certainly well known in the UK. And you have this idea of what you're going to have when you drive up to a winery. But actually, you've got like a little very, much smaller, but certainly when you drive, a little township right to the side, little children running around like crazy, of course, without any of their shoes on. (laughs) In fact, you can tell your friends, they were very, very naughty. I don't know if I told you when we came driving in, all these little kids came and it literally stopped us, blocked us. (laughs) (laughs) They held hands and they created a blockage. And I was just like looking at them like, guys, I don't have time for you. Wine is awaiting. You need to move. (laughs) (laughs) It does happen occasionally. Um, yeah, naughty little children, but of exactly. course you'd expect, you expect. But um, but yeah, it's very humble as you kind of go down that little dirt track and then get to what is, you know, this. you've got this beautiful house, stunning vineyards. And, and I mean, the contrast, it really makes you realize, you know, if you are in a more privileged position, how can you help people? And so you've gone, haven't you? You're doing this regularly. Is it, twi- is it twice a week and the staff get involved and you... Go yeah, down and so th- we do it three times a week. Um, three. Mm. So, yeah, it was actually um, established in, in about August in 2020, so straight after COVID-19 and the lockdown sort of hit us really hard. Um, so Rollo actually realized that there was a desperate need to um, supply food to this local community. Obviously, a lot of them had lost their jobs and um, weren't able to work during the lockdown. Um, many of the people actually from from the community work at Journey's End. Um, so there's a huge connect uh, between us mm, and, and course, the locals. Yeah. Inevitably serves sort of a, quite a fundamental thing in, in our sort of production of grape to glass. Um, so we wanted to look after them, obviously, um, not just the, the people employed by Journey's End, but the whole community um, or the community as a whole. Um, yeah. So initially we aim to do about 10,000 um, soup kitchen meals uh, per week, which would have equated to about um, 520,000 meals over the duration of the year. And after a year, we had actually exceeded um, a million soup kitchen meals. I mean, so that's shocking, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, and to date, we're doing about 30,000 uh, meals per week. Um, we do it three times a week, as I mentioned. Um, and we're also working with um, a group of ladies who are actually cooking cooking the soup. Um, we've also started establishing uh, vegetable gardens uh, as opposed to these people or us going out and having to buy the vegetables from a supermarket or a market. Mm. Um, we 
are sort of um, giving them the opportunity to grow it themselves. So it's all about upliftment. Um, and that's the amazing thing about working at Journey's yeah. End is that um, the focus isn't just on making wine, but we multi sort of faceted in our, in our focus and approach. I love that. It's such a beautiful, beautiful focus. And then, you know, anybody who's drinking wine here knows that you're supporting a very good course and drinking something delicious. Um, so, you know, you are a winemaker. Should we, should we talk a little bit about wine? I told you, you didn't have a choice, um, that we had to talk about Chardonnay. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, perfect. My, good. Okay. I'm glad you're down with it. So how do you go about determining what chardonnay grapes should go into each one of your wines because you have different levels so when chardonnay comes in how do you decide um we have done a lot of uh drone photography over our vineyards um so we picked sort of spots out of specific vineyard blocks um mm. which go into certain products um but i'd say the general difference so a little bit later we're going to be tasting our tails series chardonnay which is called the the haystack um mm-hmm. and then a v series um chardonnay which is called our v1 chardonnay and then a little bit later we'll be doing our destination um but the yeah. tail series chardonnay generally comes from slightly younger vineyard blocks um they're about eight years old at the moment um, the V series uh, tends to come off a certain section of a 26 year old vineyard block, so a lot, a lot older and more established. And mm-hmm. um, generally, after about 20 years, the pr- productivity of um, the vineyard starts to decrease a little bit. So, but you end up getting a, a lot more concentration. Um, all of your sugars, your sort of nutrients, and your concentration are channeled into those remaining bunches. So, um, yeah, slightly bigger more concentrated wines on our two top levels um mm-hmm. and the the destination specifically comes off the same 26 year old vineyard block but it's um on the glen rossa soil type so smaller canopies and even more concentration in the fruit um and that's basically how it differs um our treatment obviously of the grapes and the eventual wine is is completely different with all three of these lines but yeah, I'd say a, a combination of the, the years or the age of the vineyards, as well as vineyard photography and analyzing soil types in certain sections of all the vineyard blocks. God, you know, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? You know, back in the days when they had no technology, like, gosh. How did they do it? <laughs> they were led by aliens. It must have been. I mean, what's that, what other answer is there? Um, so, so do you... This is you, personally, prefer Chardonnay with or without oak? Mm, Controversial. So, I I love um, oak Chardonnays, but it must be balanced oak. Um, There was a period, sort of 10 years ago in South Africa, when um, very full-bodied, very oaky, um, sort of 50 or even more sometimes percent new oak um, was incorporated into a wine blend, a Chardonnay wine blend. Um, mm. But I'd say in terms of my favorite style of Chardonnay must have balanced oak. Um, only French oak. We only use French oak on our okay. Chardonnays. Um, Why not American? Why not American? It's a little bit too sweet and the oak lactones are a little bit too prominent or, okay. or apparent, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word. Um, okay. So I prefer French oak barrels because they they really push forward that citrus. You do still get the oak, but it's a very intact oak with the, the fruit concentration that you basically get in the wine. And Chardonnay is, in retrospect, quite a neutral cultivar. Um, so, yeah, I, I do believe in the benefits of, of oak aging because it adds a little bit of body, a little bit of weight, um, and mouthfeel and structure to the wine. It adds a little bit of oak lactone. Hopefully it's not not too much. Um, mm-hmm. It is also a very versatile grape, so it can be processed in, in many sort of different ways. It can be tank fermented. It can be barrel matured. Um, it can be um, whole bunch pressed. It can be destemmed and then pressed. Um, you can treat it reductively. You can treat it oxidatively. <laughs> so there's a lot of different things you can do with Chardonnay. And each one has their own sort of place. But if you oh, okay. ask me what my favorite Chardonnay is, I would say one that really expresses um, citrus, sort of proportional oak, uh, quite okay. low in terms of the malolactic sort of percentage. 
Ah, uh, so you quite like a really kind of a very fresh, you want yeah. really fresh Chardonnay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I like malic acid. It adds a different sort of component to the wine. It yeah. elongates it. And then I also like hints of reductivity. So we treat our Chardonnays in, in a lot of different ways. Um, most of them are quite oxidative stylistically and then um, are subjected to oak maturation. But we do we do treat them differently to that as well. Okay. No, that, do you know what? That was a fantastic answer. So now on to the next difficult question. When Chardonnay is coming in, as opposed to, of course, you make Sauvignon Blanc and say Cabernet Sauvignon is your other major focus. How is Chardonnay in terms of a grape being handled? You know, like we know Pinot Noir often oxidizes. It's a really fussy, complicated grape. What's Chardonnay like? Is it quite robust? Is it quite easy? It's very phenolic. Um, So it's quite Ah, easy. Uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So with with phenols, um, a little bit of oxygen doesn't actually hurt the wine because it actually burns okay. out a lot of the, the phenolic bitterness and astringency you'll get in the wine. So yeah, in terms of it against Cabernet Sauvignon, we process it completely differently. Obviously, the cab, mm-hmm, we yeah. ferment on the skins. We actually keep it on the skins post-fermentation as well a little bit, where the Chardonnay, we actually subject to... Um, a sort of combination of uh, reductive oxidative techniques. Um, the oxidative techniques really sort of drop down that polyphenol content in Chardonnay. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. We do stem batches. We do whole bunch pressing, steel tank fermentations, um, barrel fermentations, um, and we we generally ferment the Chardonnay at slightly higher temperatures in comparison to something like Sauvignon Blanc. Ah. Um, okay. Sauvignon oh, well, Blanc is yeah. a very mm-hmm. very yeah. de- delicate sort of uh, cultivar. Yeah. So um, our Sauvignon Blanc is treated extremely reductively. We use dry ice so that the juice um, doesn't ever see oxygen. Um, yeah. So and then we we also keep our, our Sauvignon Blanc is all de-stemmed, but then we actually keep it in our in our press uh, for about eight hours before we start actually pressing it. So allowing it a little bit of skin contact time as well, um, where we don't do that at all with the Chardonnay. And then our Sauvignon Blanc fermentations are all pretty much, barring a couple, are done in stainless steel tank um, Mm -hmm. and at very, very cold temperatures. I almost make the yeast inactive. I like to ferment at at such extreme temperatures. Do you not get nervous? You do occasionally, but yeah, (laughs) the grapes are healthy. You don't uh, tend to have too many issues with it. So we're fermenting about... I set the the tank temperatures to about ten degrees, but obviously from the heat of wow, the fermentation, we go up to about mm-hmm. twelve degrees or so. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what would you be for Chardonnay temperature wise? Um, Chardonnay can go sixteen to eighteen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It can even go a little bit past that in our barrel barrel fermentation room. So we do have air conditionings, but obviously you can't cool each individual barrel um, mm-hmm. so they do tend to ferment a little bit warmer but we do quite a lot of natural ferments so um, on the Chardonnay so those tend to take a little bit longer because you haven't put a, a cultured sort of yeast into the into the juice to ferment it quickly so yeah everything seems to finish at the same time um, okay, just for different reasons I'd say now, you're doing 16 to 18, so you're doing, you know, warmer um, temperature fermentation for the Chardonnay. If you were to drop it down a couple of degrees to 14, what would happen with the aromas? Some of the, the yeast would inactivate, so you you could be left with um, residual sugar on your on your wine, which is never oh, a, good, no. a good thing. No, nope. um, don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's... Uh, as I mentioned, the, the barrel room is um, temperature controlled, but we can't really drop the temperature of each individual barrel um, to mm-hmm. what we really want because they're all individual entities in themselves. And it would take us about a week just to cool all of the, the Chardonnay barrels in our, in our barrel room. So it's a little yeah. bit too much hard work. <laughs> we work hard yeah. enough as is. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine leave it 16 to 18 it's working all right that's fine yeah. now, how do you think if somebody was to say oh um i have a chardonnay from stellenbosch yours of course only yours um and then they seem to see a chardonnay from pearl or from any other region in stellenbosch could you say that the stellenbosch chardonnay is different specifically definitely i'd say the more inland you go if you go into areas like pearl or or into Robertson, for instance, um, they're a little bit 
further away from the, the ocean, so you don't get that strong sort of southeasterly wind that blows very cool air over your vineyards. So I'd say mm-hmm. the more inland you go, even if you compare us um, who are on the most southerly pinnacle, basically, of, of the Stellenbosch yes. wine region, into central Stellenbosch, they'll get slightly more riper styled Chardonnays than us. They won't have as high natural, and I'm speaking very generally now, um, but course, they won't course, have yeah. as high natural acidities. Um, we also tend to get this sort of salinity in our wines that you wouldn't get in the middle of Stellenbosch, but I'd say mm-hmm. their style is a little bit more riper. Stellenbosch Paul, for instance, is a little bit more riper than outside of Stellenbosch. We, I'd say, a little bit more comparable to um, Olgen and, and Chabot. Okay, okay. Yeah, um, no, super interesting. Or Hermanus. Okay. Yeah, but, um, very close to the ocean. You get the saltiness right through the board on all of our wines, um, which is really unique and, and interesting, I think. Okay, I can't wait any longer. I, I was pouring as you were talking. Let's go to the haystack. Let's do it. So I have in front of me uh, the 2021 Haystack Chardonnay. Um, cool. I'm sticking my nose. I didn't try this with you. I didn't try this with you when I was in front of you. We didn't have it. So this is new for me. Cool. You know what I love? Just on the nose, there's actually really a lovely, like almost even going guava tropicals, but then this kind of steeliness as well. So it's interesting you said that because this is our more sort of shabby styled Chardonnay. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. We do use tiny, tiny percentages of oak, but I consider this wine an unoaked Chardonnay. Um, so yeah, picked okay. pick slightly earlier, we do tend to get a, a combination of citrus characters as well as slightly riper um, tropical flavors in the wine. Um, but they're all tank fermented. We might add between 2 and 5% of old barrel fermented Chardonnay, and that's literally for logistical um, reasons. But it also adds a little bit of mouthfeel and weight um, to the product. But yeah, this is um, fermented using different parcels of yeast strains, which produce different sort of flavors and characters that you're picking up on the wine. Um, right through the board, you'll get salinity and, and a little bit of minerality from our granite soils. Yeah. Um, mm. But a nice, easy drinking, very approachable style of Chardonnay. I'd, I'd say um, it's a nice introductory Chardonnay for a person who would who specifically hates Chardonnay because of the oaky characters. That, <laughs> so it's it's almost like a, a Sauvignon Blanc style on a Chardonnay and very approachable. It's a nice sort of um, rye or barbecue mm. drink um, and very easy drinking and not meant to be too uh, pretentious or too sort of complex for, for lack of a better word. It's not a wine that should make you think too much. You should just enjoy it. I think they no, use the word quaffable in the in the UK. <laughs> I use that a lot. Do you know, I just think we need to get rid of ABC Club, the Anything yeah. But Chardonnay Club, and we need to change it to the ABBC Club, Anything But Bad Chardonnay, because then that's it, you know? We're all part of the ABBC Club, aren't we? You know, that's, that's all it is. Yeah. We just don't want bad Chardonnay. I really do like the fact that you you hit the nail on the head when you said there's a little bit of weight, but it's not buttery, it's not creamy, it's just a little bit textural, nice and fresh. I really like that I'm getting on the palate now a little bit of kind of melon, a bit of lime, that guava was on the nose. It's pretty, it's super fresh, and it's like £13, everybody in the UK. You can get it from... Noble Green Wines, I've written down Tanners as well. So yeah. it's in quite a lot of places, this wine. And a cool label as well. Fun. Yeah, so our labels, right? um, the reference basically to the haystack is one of our sort of sustainability uh, practices that we use on the farm. So we actually grow wheats and legumes in between our vineyard rows and they're obviously rolled um, out um, at the end of the year. And yeah. um, these form these, these sort of hay bales at the end of, of your vineyard rows. Um, but yeah, that if you're using alternative or cover cropping methods, um, it can add nitrogen to your soil. Um, it can deter certain types of pests from your vineyards. It can also prevent soil erosion, um, and it prevents as much evaporation of soil water, which has been hugely beneficial for us since 2016. Amazing. Oh God! Honestly, I, I hate the fact that we only have so much time to record this episode because I, I I just love picking your brain, everyone. Get across the journey's end. Find Mike. He's too busy making wine, but still, just grab him, ask him questions. Um, you know, it's it's super, it's super, super interesting. This was lovely. I really like this. I think great price, and as you said, 
with a whole load of friends drinking nothing too complicated but it's lovely and fresh and I really do like I am getting that steely little minerality edge on the finish so yeah. I think it's really nice really lovely amazing amazing glad you enjoyed now. it now <laughs> oh yes but but because I know because I've tasted the other two I'm going to the middle one now which is V1 Chardonnay this is 2021 this was my favourite this was my favourite yeah so the the V series is is basically our uh, varietal series so our mid-tier range that we produce at Journey's End Um, historically uh, and we have discussed this a little bit earlier but there were very robust, big styles of Chardonnay with a, a hectic amount of oak. Um, and my whole idea with this wine was to make it a little bit different, a little bit more, or detract a little bit from the oak um, in the wine. So I really want this wine to be um, fruit forward, but at the same time, it is 90% of, um, of the components that go into this wine come from barrel fermentations. Um, we're using about two, uh, um, 10% new oak in the entirety of the blend. Um, mm. And then we're also using about 10% of alternative vessel fermentations and maturation. Yeah. So, those amphoras. Yeah, we're using a bit of amphora terracotta clay pots, um, which are all handmade. Mm-hmm. They take a hefty amount of time to actually construct. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, about four months to construct uh, one of these vessels. So you have to do it in sections and then kiln it and then... Um, continue building upwards, basically. Interesting. And they all hand side um, in Italy. Yeah. Oh, oh God. Comes and from then, Minetti. Okay. So they're extremely uh-huh. expensive vessels. They would make great tree pot plants as well. <laughs> <laughs> Very expensive ones. Yeah, exactly. I think I like the idea of using them in wine. What do you think is the, um, from your perspective, I, everyone has an opinion, what is the advantage of using these clay pots on Chardonnay? So one of the effects that it does have is, um, it's um, a little bit technical that I'm going to go now, but it's do called it, the Brownian effect. So um, okay. instead, of, instead of having a flat surface at the bottom of your tank like you would have in a stainless steel tank and um, you actually yeah. have a, a sort of curve at the bottom of your tank or a concave mm-hmm. um, and this allows for natural circulation of your your yeast and your sediments um, throughout the vessel so it keeps your your wine nice and cloudy on the the lease um, for yeah. longer periods of time without any manipulation and yeah. um, so it adds mouthfeel weight it just doesn't add those oak lactones that you that you'd get um, from it being in a barrel. Um, yep. So that was the reason I actually started using these vessels was to detract a little bit from the oak and, and have vessels which were still producing nice, weighty, um, full-bodied wines with beautiful fruit. And they also impart a little bit of a mineral clay-type character into your wine at the same time. Mm. Um, but we're also using concrete eggs um, uh, in the construction of this wine and it's for the exact same effect called the Brownian effect um, mm-hmm. and this also helps in preserving the wine for longer periods of time without me having to add a preservative like sulfur um, into the wine so okay that, and that's brilliant as well yeah I just fell in love with this one everyone by the way this is only 19 pounds from uh, from Noble Green Wines yes and for me the concentration on the nose it's like this beautiful creme brulee and then this big old bowl of just peaches it's like this beautiful like caramelized peach almost and then with this lovely chalky nature which you know maybe coming from your vessels who knows or the soils who knows um but the palette again it's clean it's bright it's light it's it's textural it is elegant because I remember it's not a blockbuster at all so it's but then with all that gorgeous fruit there's this lovely little savory finish a bit of like this truffle on the end I adore this wine this is my absolute favorite even though the other one is actually a little bit better I just for my palate I love this wine (laughs) yeah I'm I'm Mm. also a sucker for the V1 Chardonnay But you may be a sucker, but let's talk about the other equally delicious because some people will prefer the destination Chardonnay. This actually is 2019, the vintage I have here in front of me. And you actually, uh, let me read the bottle. Okay, so you're making the least out of this. 20 barrels and yeah. 
20 barrels, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So about I six have bottle number. I have bottle number 5,191. I always feel special when you know the actual bottle number. More people need to do it. It's absolutely brilliant. So tell me about this, Chardonnay. So yeah, this is the destination is basically the pinnacle of our white wine making, I'd say, at Journey's yeah. End. Although it is probably the, the easiest wine to actually make on the farm. It is a bit scary <laughs> because it's 100% naturally fermented. We literally ah, don't add yeah. a thing to it. Okay. Um, so we use a combination of um, whole bunch pressing as well as de-stemmed uh, pressing. Um, mm-hmm. And then from there, it undergoes a settling period. For the 2019 vintage, we were actually uh, doing cold settling on this wine. Um, more recently, we've started doing flotation settling. Um, mm-hmm. But literally from the, the settling tank, we pump uh, the juice into French oak barrels. We use a combination of 228 litre as well as 300 litre um, French oak barrels. And um, all of the fermentations are undertaken completely naturally. So we don't add any yeast. There's never any acid added to this wine. We do have nice sort of high natural acidity. It's in so any vibrant. Case. Um, so vibrant. Mm. And it's a wine that you must almost drink uh, a little bit warmer than the previous two. Uh, so I'd say yeah. about 15 or so degrees, 14 to 15 degrees is ideal for this. We are chill the, the other two a little bit more. Um but yeah, we're using about 20% new oak in the entirety of the blend. I only use a very select few coopers um, with mm-hmm. different sort of deviations on the toasting level or the um, the barrel type from the different coopers. Um, and then that's what builds our complexity is basically using a whole bunch of different barrel components and building this wine up in terms of generally is a little bit more Burgundian in style sort of merso in style a little bit smokier um it's nuttier nuttier mm. you get a bit of sort of burnt brioche type of character on the wine um which i absolutely love and it has uh, we are doing a little bit of um, natural malolactic fermentation i call them my okay. my sort of okay, cowboy barrels because um, <laughs> cowboy barrels they tend to just uh, go through malolactic fermentation we never ever inoculate with with bacteria um okay so it's just the ones that decide to to go through mallow but we end up on about 15 percent malolactic okay. fermentation which does add a little bit of body a little bit of mouthfeel mm. a little bit, bit more, more of that butteriness and viscosity mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah. But yeah, I never, never overdo the malolactic fermentation because I really believe malic acid has a huge place in Chardonnay in terms of the flavor characteristics that it gives to the wine. To be honest, I'm drinking this now and I'm like, hmm, maybe I do prefer this one. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I, I, I'm sticking with my favorite because I like the the elegance and the slight more minerality I get from the V1 Chardonnay. But I have to say, the destination, this is serious. For anybody who is, as you you mentioned, you know, if you're a serious Burgundy drinker and you don't want to spend the money, this is £23 a bottle. It's from Tanner's. I'm sure there are plenty of other places that you can get this from. Every time I search Journeys End on the internet, it's so easy to find retailers. But um, it, it just, the nose gives you this kind of almost baked yellow fruit it really jumps out there's this caramelized pecan pie it, it has more of the body and i love but i love with that vibrant acidity it's like this real lime zestiness that cuts through and it's just really as like for me like just nutty and savory yeah. and mm. serious but so fresh so fresh not cloying not fat not big in any way not broad-shouldered it still is just dancing i love it I love it. It's, I'm still sticking with V1, but I love it. <laughs> it's also a beautiful um, food wine. Uh, mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. does really, really well at, at restaurants. Um, it's an absolute match made in heaven to pair this with sort of really robust cheeses. Um, butter curries mm-hmm. as well are absolutely beautiful with the oh destination shot. Oh, my God. Shop. Yes. Yes. I'm not even going to give a food. Uh, that was good. A butter curry. Totally agree. Now, one, one more winemaking question. You said you're doing whole bunch and also de-stemmed. What differences are you getting from doing those two processes? You tend to get slightly more elegant styles, I'd say, from the, the whole bunch pressing. Um, we're using mm-hmm. very gentle pressing cycles, almost like they do in, in champagne. Um, yes. You 
do tend to get a little bit of a, a sort of stalky tannin note that, that also comes through in the wine. But um, okay. as I mentioned, we do treat the, the Chardonnays, most of them quite reductively. So that tends to burn mm-hmm. out over the period of fermentation and maturation, um, especially because it's all going into barrels. Um, whereas with the crushed parcel, uh, you'll get a, a little bit bigger style. Um, I tend to get more tropical fruit as well from de-stemmed, uh, de-stemmed oh, bunches, but it's mm-hmm. probably because I'm very, very careful with whole bunch pressing to pick it almost a little bit earlier, uh, where ah, okay. I'm not too worried about the, the crushed and de-stemmed stuff. I can pick it um, sort of a little bit later on in the hot okay. season. So yeah, you get a, a very elegant one and then and a little bit more of a tropical, full-bodied style. Love it. Love it. Thank you. Thank you for taking us on our little Chardonnay journey. Everybody, get these Chardonnays. I love Journey's End so much um, and they taste amazing. But I have to finish off now with one question, which I just want, as a winemaker, if you could share a glass of wine with any wine person. Now, they can be alive. They could be dead already. Who would it be and why? Um, So, I'd say uh, two people. Yeah, that I'd, I'd enjoy to share a glass of wine and a conversation with would be Oz Clark and Jeremy Clarkson. Um, ah, okay. Yeah, I yeah. I think Interesting. Oz is super clued up, um, and I think Jeremy's yes. the furthest thing from clued up, but is slowly sort of starting <laughs> to learn. But I just think he's absolutely hilarious, and I think it would be a very fun sort of event or evening or dinner or whatever it is. Um, just chatting to the two polar opposites <laughs> in terms I of like their... That in um, incorporation in the wine industry or their involvement in the wine industry. I think we could get them to come visit. Let's let's see what we can do. <laughs> Love good. it. Great answer. Mike, thank you so much. Your babies are now calling you. Not your actual baby, your great babies, I'm <laughs> sure. So um, go and do a few more pump overs. Carry on making delicious wine. And thank you for giving us a few moments and for taking care of me when I came to visit because it was um, a very, it's now a very, very cherished special memory. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much for inviting me on this podcast as well. No, it's been absolutely. a good chat. Well, come see me in the UK soon with some delicious wine definitely will do so (laughs) (laughs) okay i'll see you soon take care of yourself bye bye So I hope you've all now joined my club, the ABBC club, and you're all ready to get behind all the inspiring and beautiful efforts of Journey's End. So next week, we're going to the Bot River, a wine region that many have not heard of. This is just 30 minutes southeast from Stellenbosch, and I am talking with Alice Verberg, who makes the Ludite wines with her dad. This is a super small winery, and they are very hands off. It's all about Syrah and Chenin Blanc and so we will focus on sustainable farming practices and the absence of pesticides and herbicides. To finish off today, I have a quote from Matt Kramer, or Kramer, a wine writer and critic and he has said, Chardonnay is a wine that can be as graceful as a ballerina or as powerful as a sumo wrestler, depending on the winemaker's vision. And I hope after this episode, you have a better idea of those winemaking choices when working with this very versatile and adaptable grape variety. That is it, wine friends. Another week, another episode. Don't forget to share with your wine-loving friends. And if you are enjoying these episodes, do take a few moments out to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify, as this helps the podcast become more discoverable. Remember that every day is another day to be awesome. So may you all just go and appreciate the small things. Stay focused and be happy. Until next week, cheers to you.